This week, our young, uh, um, our young students and teenagers have been participating in what's called Disciple Now. Um, like 380 students from across Greenwood have been meeting all weekend long. They've been opening God's Word and exploring different things. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being on a panel um, of senior pastors, and they got to text in questions. One of the questions that came in um, from this group was the question, is the Bible still relevant today? And I really think that's a, that's a good, honest question. Is the Bible a book that's, wow, what, uh, thousands of years old, is it still relevant and applicable today? Well, the answer to that all depends on how you see this book. If this is indeed the Word of God, then certainly it is relevant because God's relevant. And God tells us, I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so God's Word is as relevant as He is, and I think it's extremely relevant today. Here's what Paul had to say to Timothy. He said, Timothy, all Scripture is inspired by God. It's God-breathed. The way I see this book, it is as if God himself not only wrote it, but is speaking. And God says, this is my word. It's inspired. I breathed this word. I did it through human agents, but I'm the author. And then he says, Paul says, not only is it inspired by God, but it's profitable. I want you to know that what we're going to do in just a moment can be and should be profitable for you. What we're about to do is we open the Word of God to Isaiah chapter 48. This should be a profitable time. You should actually get something from this. And he says it's profitable for teaching. So much of what God has to say in His Word, He says because He wants to teach us about who He is and who we are. So maybe the way you're going to profit this morning is God is going to show you something about him, or maybe you're going to profit as God shows you something about you. And Paul says it's all profitable, some for teaching, then it's profitable for, for reproof. In other words, it brings conviction. God's word is this living word that actually gets into our lives and says, what you're doing is not right. I don't find any pleasure in it. And I think that's profitable. I'm glad I have someone who loves me enough to correct me when I'm wrong. And this is the word of God. And so we're going to open it up. And maybe the way you're going to be profited this morning is that the Holy Spirit of God is going to take the word of God and is just going to address the sin in your life. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. If I'm going down the wrong road that leads to destruction, I want someone to tell me that's not the road you need to be on. And so maybe you're going to be profited by, by seeing something of God or seeing something of yourself. Maybe you're going to profit by seeing some sin in your life that you need to correct. And, and that's the next thing it, it says. It's also profitable for correction. God doesn't just say, you're going down the wrong road. He also says, here's the roads you need to be on. Okay? I'm not going to tell you what you're doing wrong if I'm not going to show you what to do right. So maybe some of you are already thinking, I, I know I'm on the wrong road. Maybe you'll profit this morning when God says, here's the roads you need to be on. And then it's profitable for teaching or training in righteousness. Here's how you stay where you need to stay. 
As we open our, our Bibles to Isaiah chapter 48, and again, for our guest, we're just we're making our way through this book. Here's what's happened. Here's the first thing you need to know about Isaiah 48. Isaiah 48 was written probably 200 years at least before it ever happened. You, you, you got God addressing the people, his people, special people, unique to him, his chosen people. He loved, gave them his name, brought them out of Egypt, delivered them, provided for them, sent them to the promised land. Special, special relationship. Special relationship. God's relationship with Israel is unlike any other relationship he has with any other nation in the world. They are unique to him. They're his people. Now, by the way, we are now part of that same special relationship as the church today. What we see in the lives of Israel, we enjoy today because we have been brought into this group that God says, you're my chosen people. But here, God's got a special group of people. He's been so good to them. But they got these hard hearts. They're calloused. They talk a good talk. But God says, hey, you, you, you draw near with your lips, but your heart's far away. You're just going through the motion. God sends a prophet, Isaiah, tell them to repent. They don't repent. So God says, here's what's going to happen. Now, again, this is 200 at least years before God says, the Assyrians are going to overthrow you, and then you're going to be drugged into captivity, and then you're going to, be, you're going to wind up in Babylon as exiles. Okay, you're going, to, you're going to be in Babylon. But I'm not going to leave you in Babylon. I'm going to raise up Cyrus. I'm going to raise up this pagan political leader. And I'm going to use Cyrus to get you guys out of Babylon back into Jerusalem. And he says this 250 years. And why he's saying it so early is so that when it actually happens, they can say, whoa, this is exactly what God said would happen. But instead of saying, whoa, now when we get to, to, to chapter 48, this is actually happening. It's 200 years later. It's actually happening. And instead of saying, whoa, let's go back to Jerusalem, these people are saying, we don't want to go back. We like it here. So we're reading a passage of Scripture where God is actually delivering people who don't want to be delivered. Imagine that. Imagine God saying, huh, let me break your chains. Let me set you free. Let me allow you to go back to where life is good. And those same people saying, we're not so sure we want to go back. Interesting, isn't it? So let's look at this and let's see what God has to teach us. Maybe about him, maybe about ourselves. Let's see what God maybe has to say that would reprove us and convict us that we're in a place we shouldn't be. Let's see what God maybe has to say that would correct us and get us to where we need to be and keep us there. As he opens up chapter 48, this, this prophecy what God does is he says, okay, to his people, here's how I see you. Can I just forewarn you, what I'm about to read is God being sarcastic. You think, God isn't sarcastic. Oh, yes, he is. Here he's very sarcastic. Here's what he says. Hear this, O house of Jacob. Now, that's a pretty lofty term, O house of Jacob. 
who are named Israel. I gave you that name. You call yourself by that name. Israel, God's chosen people. Who came forth from the loins of Judah. Oh, what a, what a great heritage of forefathers you have. Who swear by the name of the Lord and invoke the God of Israel. But not in truth, nor in righteousness. <laughs> it, it, it would be, okay, if I wanted to be sarcastic, here's how we, this is how it would sound this morning. Good morning, you sons and daughters of the living God. You great members of Northside Baptist Church. You anointed ones of God. Good morning to those of you that have gathered and sang so wonderful this morning. But you haven't really meant a word of it. Mm. You hear what God is saying? God's saying, look, this is what you call yourself. You swear using my name. You call on my name. You get together. You say all the right things. But God says, when I look at my people, I see a people who were putting a pretty face on an ugly heart. A pretty face on an ugly heart. And the New Testament calls that a hypocrite, to wear a mask, to play a role. I'm playing a part. It's just like your favorite actor or actress, when they assume a role, they play that role, and they might play it well and convince you that they're really that person. But that's not who they are. And God says, look, you carry this name, and you might be convincing a lot of other people this is really who you are, but it is so superficial and so shallow because I can see your heart and there's still no weightiness to it that's what God is saying be like you catching me doing something I shouldn't do and say really pastor really and all God is doing is looking at people listen that he has done everything for everything for the most blessed loved special group of people in all of the universe who say really big things about God and yet whose hearts are still far from him so far that even as God is bringing them deliverance and saying you can leave Babylon which by the way Babylon is always in the Bible a reference to the world always you can leave the world, you can leave its values, you can leave its lifestyle, and you can go to where the living is good. And these people that God has done everything for us saying, not sure we want to go. Long journey from here to there. We've got a custom to here. We've made friends here. We've put down some roots here. It's pretty good here. We've got to go rebuild if we go there. Not sure we want to go. And by the way, they didn't all go. Even after they'd been set free, many of them died in the world. That's what they are. God says you're, you're people with a, with a very, very shallow heart. The second thing I want you to see quickly is they're, they're people who have no excuse. They're, there's no excuse for, for being so shallow. Verse 2, they call themselves after the holy city. They lean on the God of Israel. The Lord of all hosts is his name. God says, I declared the former things long ago. 
They went forth from my mouth. I proclaimed them. And then suddenly I acted and they came to pass. Because I know you're obstinate. I know your neck is as an iron sinew. Your forehead is bronze. Therefore, I declared them to you long ago before they took place. I proclaimed them to you so that you would not say my idol has done it. Or my graven image or my molten image have commanded them. In other words, God says, the reason I had Isaiah write all this down way back there is so when it actually happened and I started doing it, you would have a copy of me doing exactly what I said I was going to do. Thinking that once that happened, even you obstinate, shallow, hard-headed people would have said, whoa, our God is awesome. We need to repent. Yet it didn't happen. People who had so much evidence, people who had, God, God had said, I knew you were going to be this way, so what I did, I told you what I was going to tell you, and I told you, and then I did it, and even after I did it, it still had no impact on your life. How many sermons have you heard? How many Bible studies have you been to? What has God done over the course of your entire life to say, look, here's truth, walk in it. Look, this is what I expect and desire. Look, this is the man I want you to be. This is the daddy I want you to be. This is the husband I want you to be. How many conferences have you been to? How many disciple nows you've been to? How, I just think back over my life, whoa, I've heard it over and over and over and over and over again. And now God has done exactly what he said he would do. And sometimes I think God looks at me and says, when are you going to get it? When are you going to get it? When, are, when is your faith going to have real substance to it? We see a picture of a people who playing a part, people with no excuse. I think we see a picture of a group of people who probably feel now, you know what, God, if you just crushed us and destroyed us, we couldn't argue with you. I don't know if you've ever been there or not. And it might surprise you, maybe it doesn't surprise you for me to tell you, I get there a lot. Sometimes I think, God, if you just squashed me like a bug, I couldn't argue with you. I, I, look, at, I look at this, and, and I don't just see a hard-headed, obstinate, stiff-necked people. I see me. And I, and I don't like that. And, and then, let's, let's keep moving. Then we see, we see God. What does God do? What does God do with these hard-headed, stiff-necked people that he's told over and over and over? And, and that he's provided for and that he's taught and that he's delivered? And, and what, what does he do when they're still hard-headed? Verse number 9 tells us, well, back, back up to verse number 8. You have not heard, you've not known, even from long ago your ears not been opened because I knew that you would deal very treacherously and you have been called a rebel from your birth. 
I have been a rebel since my birth. You know, we come into this world rebelling. Do you know this? It's called total depravity. We're at my house last night, and my son Jeremy and, and his wife Katie and their, their kids Judah and Lily are, are there. And we're, we're, eating, we're eating dinner, and I'm, I'm seated right next to, to Judah, the two-year-old. And then his dad, Jeremy's on the other side, and Judah's got one of these plastic cups with a lid and a little straw. And he's getting down, the cup's getting empty, and he starts banging it on the table. Boom, boom, just banging it. And then it just sounds good, and he's acting like a drum. And his dad says to him, Judah, stop that. Boom. Judah, you do that again, and I'll take that away from you. Boom! I told you, and it goes away. And Judah kind of resists for a moment, but he, but he knows better, so he sits there, nothing to drink. And after about five minutes, Jeremy says to my grandson, I'll give you that cup back, but you better not beat it on that table again. Okay. So he gets it back, and he's sipping it. And his daddy gets caught up in a conversation with his mama, and they're all talking, and I'm sitting there. And Judah's got that cup, and he's drinking it, gets down close to the table. And then he just barely rubs it across. And they don't, no one knows what's going on. Oh, I knew what was going on. I knew it was going to go on before it went on. I knew. I'm going to watch this show. And then it got just a little bit, oh, a little louder. And they're all caught up in a little louder. Why do kids do that? Because, you know, we come into this world not rebelling against a mom or a dad. We come into this world rebelling against God. Shouldn't we think the one who has created us, the one who's created everything, the Almighty, the sovereign God, for me to say, Give me that cup back, and I'll do what I want to with it. Don't you think he should just crush us? But what does he do? Look at verse number 9. But for the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. For the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I've tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned? And my glory I will not give to another. Now, I want you to hear what God is saying. God is saying, I'm going to hold off on my anger, but I'm going to do it first for my own name's sake. I'm not going to destroy you because I have already gone on record saying I'm going to save you. I have let the world know that you're my people, I'm your God, and I'm going to take care of you, and I'm not going to abandon you, because if I abandon you, people would say, well, he's not much of a God. He can't do what he said he was going to do. So God says, I'm going to act, and I'm going to act for my name's sake. But I want you to see something else. He says, I'm not going to remove my anger, I'm just going to delay it. I have a right to be angry. There is a righteous indignation, and, and my anger is not going to go away. I'm still going to pour my wrath out. I'm going to delay it. For how long? Look at Isaiah 53. Real quick, let's see if you understand what's going on here. I bet you understand more Scripture than you think you do. I'm going to start reading this, and in your mind, you, you come to the conclusion 
Who's Isaiah talking about, even if he doesn't know he's talking about him yet? Surely, verse 4, Isaiah 53, 4, Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken. He was smitten of God and afflicted. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we're healed. All of us, like sheep, we've gone astray. Each of us, we've turned to our own way. But the Lord, that is God, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Who's him? It's Jesus. Now, this is the gospel. This is, this is the good news that what Jeff did was say to the God who created him, I'm going to rebel against you. I'll drag my cup against the table if I want to. How dare you tell me what I can and cannot do? That's what I said. To a God that's been nothing but good to me, nothing but kind to me, nothing but patient to me, nothing but teach me the truth of his love from the day I could walk. I know all the songs. A God that should squash me like a bug, but a God who says, instead of squashing you, I'm going to squash him. That's my son, Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the love of God. This is the love of Christ Jesus, the one who took my place. And the anger of God was not something God says, I'll just deal with it. The anger of God was poured out on Christ for our behalf. This is the good news. This is the gospel. It amazes me that God, I know we won't take time to read all of this, but if you go back to chapter 48, you, 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 you go to verse number 12 and you start reading down and, and you, you hear God saying, I, I formed the heavens and the earth. I get this picture of a God who's real, real big, who pays attention to little peons like me. Almost every night I go outside just to look at the sky. I'm, I'm just one of those guys. Every night I'm going to go outside. Sandy don't even have to ask where I'm going. I'm going to go outside and I'm just going to look at the sky. And last night I'm out there and it's cloudy and the clouds kind of apart. And there's the Big Dipper and the moon hanging there. And you just kind of look and you think, whoa, there's a bunch of stuff out there. And how little I must be. And to think that the one who made everything that is knows my name. Cares about me. And here's where the conviction comes. This great God who cares about me, sometimes, if I'm honest, I care so little for. Not if you pin me down, but just catch me in those moments and in those times and you see that temper of mine coming out and I just act like there's no God at all. And I know I should be squashed, and yet I'm not squashed. Somebody was squashed for me. Someone was squashed for you, not just someone. Jesus. Here's this big God. Verse 17, thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I, I love that. I'm still your Redeemer. I'm not your squasher. 
Holy One of Israel, I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. I'll lead you in the way you should go. Listen, I, I want the best for you. And notice, if only you had paid attention to my commandments. Whoa. I don't, I don't think God is as much as rubbing it in their face as he's saying, I know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. Listen to me. And let's close here. Look at verse number 20. Here, to me, here's, here's the essence of this whole message. God says, go forth from Babylon. I've set you free. You do not have to live there anymore, embrace those values anymore, put up with that type of lifestyle anymore. You can leave. I have provided something better. Go back. Leave. And a bunch of them stay. He says, leave. Declare with the sound of joyful shouting, proclaim this, send it out to the end of the earth, say, the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob. I mean, God is saying, get out of Babylon and as you go, start singing, free at last, free at last. And some of them do, just like some of you will. Some of you will. Some of you will this day. You'll leave. You'll leave the world and the values that you're presently embracing. Some of you will, will leave relationships you have no business being part of. None. Some of you will leave habits that you've really been set free from, but you still stay enslaved to. Some of you will leave attitudes that stink. Just like some of them left. Some of them said, why do we live here a day longer? Let's go back. Sure, there's a journey. Sure, we'll have to rebuild. Sure, it'll be different. But if God is for us, who can be against us? And he surely is for us. And they will leave. But many of them don't. <laughs> go figure. What will you do? What will you do? At the end of the day and at the end of this message, we hear a living God through his living word remind us that his grace is greater than our sin. Right? His grace is greater than our sin. It amazes me that his grace is greater than my sin. It's even more amazing that his grace is greater than mine and Brian's sin together. And we're going to throw Janice in there. And this is a lot of sin. And I'm just three people deep. What an amazing thing you have shown us today. Take no delight in squashing. You'll refine us. You'll refine us. You'll put us in the fire, but not to destroy us, not to consume us, just to purify us. And you'll remind us that your ways are right. You'll remind us 
we don't have to stay where we are. Remind us that you want us to be deep in our faith and in our love. You want us to be the real deal. And remind us that your grace is greater than our sin. May we embrace this truth. And may those of us who need to leave certain things and move forward to other things, may we begin that journey right here, right now. And we thank you for calling us and beckoning us to leave. In your name we pray. Let's stand together and sing a concluding hymn. Grace that